to be able to have that desire today, to worship Him alone. I believe we're living in the greatest age of idolatry that the world has ever known. Although, more than likely, we would find no idols to Chemosh. We would find no babies being offered in the valley of Hinnom, which is right outside of Jerusalem. We would find no molten images of Molech, which were a hollow image with a god with its arms stretched out, hollow on the inside. They would light fires and lay their babies in those arms for productivity of their crops. We wouldn't find any of that today. But we find all kinds of folks worshiping basketball stars and football stars and their cars, their homes, their ideas, and mothers, fathers, husbands, wives. And actually, there's only one God. And His name is not Allah. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad we know Him today. But I'm even more glad that he knew us before the foundation of the world and gave us this opportunity to serve him. So good to see you today. I dropped uh, Carol and Eric off out front and let them walk up front. And I just walking by and waving and speaking to everybody that I could see in the parking lot. I just started feeling real melancholy and just kind of teary-eyed, you know, just good to see everybody. I'm just so grateful, friends, that we're able to have church. I'm just so thankful to the Lord. I realize that COVID has took a great toll on a lot of churches. I was reading just this week where the first time in history since records have been kept that the American people, less than 50% of them, are going to church. And many will not go back to church after COVID, no doubt. Even some of the denominations are saying that they're thinking they may not even resume church attendance. They may just do it online only. Just make it real convenient for people. That's definitely what we need. Is definitely more convenient, right? We're already so spoiled and so rotten anyway. Just, But the Bible still says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. Thank God for streaming. Thank God for those that you know that um, many don't have a place to go and all that. But there's nothing like being together with the saints of God in, in His awesome presence. Amen. We're going to pray today. I wonder how many of you would have a need to request on your heart before we go to the Lord. Brother Joel has already mentioned um, Brother William and Brother George, also the Smith family. Sister Renelle is sick as well, and John Moses, but he seems to be doing pretty well. But um, they certainly, certainly need, need prayer. Brother George has been in the hospital twice in the last couple of days, and they've sent him home. And I've been texting him and touch with him. He said this morning he was feeling some better. Um, Brother William certainly had a rough night last night, so we want to remember them before the Lord. <clears throat> we are grateful for God and His mercy helping us through this difficult time, but we don't want to forget those that are in, in time of need. All those that, that would like to be here as well, please remember them and don't, don't forget them when you pray. Can we go before the Lord Jesus now? Heavenly Father, we love you so much today. We know how we feel about church and our church family. We love one another, and though we have differences among us, as any family does, I'm the oldest of seven, and 
Carol is the oldest of eight. So we know what it's like to have a lot of family members and none of us are exactly alike. We all have our differences and difference of opinions, but we come from the same father and the same mother. And we know, Lord, the family of God, we are different. We have our different makeups and different opinions about this and that. But there is a tie that binds us together that's beyond even bloodlines. It's the deity line of God. We're thankful today. So when we hear our brothers and sisters, whether they're in our assembly or in others' assemblies, Lord, they're sick and they're going through things, it touches our hearts. So we pray, Father, that you would help your people, not only just those here at Happy Valley, but those around the world. My heart goes out, Lord, to those still unable to gather together and have church in Africa, different parts of India, uh, different parts of Canada, states. God, please help us, I pray. And we see, Lord, beyond a shadow of a doubt that even our government is trying to move in. We saw just this week where the Supreme Court had ruled against a decision that was made in California. And they, they said it beyond a shadow of a doubt that the state laws was trying to target church people. When they would let bars be open and all kinds of other things be open, and they made a difference. We see where that's heading, Lord. We want you to know we're grateful that we still have the opportunity to be able to meet. So, Father, we ask you that you'd help us, that we wouldn't think, well, we can always go to church. Help us to realize there may be a time we would to God we could go to church. So may we take advantage of every time we can. Lord, I want to mention to you today, Brother George Smith, Brother William, Sister Rennell, Father, that you'd be with them and help them. Lord, Brother George been in the hospital a couple of times and sending him home. Brother William had a rough night, Father, and Sister Rennell texted Carol this morning and said he was in desperate need of prayer. We're asking you today, Father, that you'd move for them, Lord Jesus. May your grace minister to them. Maybe there's others here today, Lord, that, that we're not even aware of that are in just as desperate need. Would you help us today, Father? Speak to us from your word, Lord God, as we've gathered together. We've not come to hear and see one another, but we've come to hear you. Give us strength for our journey. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Let's turn today to Genesis chapter 24, verse 51. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go. Let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment, and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her Mother, precious things. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. You may be seated. It's been about three years since his mother has passed. It was the strongest female figure that he had had in his life. We can read from uh, 
the scriptures and from Josephus, Philo, some of the other ancient historians that Rebecca had quite, quite the influence that she is going to make on this husband of hers that she doesn't yet know. He has been sheltered a lot, no question about it. He has been placed in a very unusual position. He's the son of a great, great man. He's going to be the father of a great, great man. But he's one of those men that kind of fits in between two great men. He will never be as famous as his father or his son. He will never be pronounced as having even the great face of his father or need the administration of grace that his son will. But he was a link that was absolutely necessary in the program of God. I think probably most of us would feel more comfortable being identified with Isaac than we would probably with Abraham or even Jacob because he's more of a down-to-earth, common type of person. His mother has been passed now for three years. She died when he was 37. He himself is now 40. Abraham sees that it's time for him to have a wife. He knows the type of woman that Sarah was. And Isaac is the type of individual that you see highlights in his life. And then you see silent years. The last that we've heard about him has been when his father takes him up to Mount Moriah. And I know the artists, they depict him as being a small little boy. But actually, Isaac was about 25, 26. They say up to 30. Whenever Abraham takes him up to the altar. After that great thing happens, then we see his life goes silent again. Not much said about him. But God deals with his people that way. We all know ourselves that we have great highlights in our life with God. And then it seems as if so, we almost go off of God's radar, as it were. God supernaturally will do great things in our lives and then we'll kind of go down into a lower spot and God will allow us to struggle somewhat. And God may give us a miracle that is so pronounced and so supernatural that, well, he'll even make doctors testify about it. And then we may go through a trial in our life and low spots in our life and we're wondering if he even remembers our address, if he even knows our name. But we can see that this is the way that he deals with his children. Isaac is the type of a man that, no doubt from the 
layout of what the scripture identifies and historically as well. He's not a very loud, outspoken type of an individual. He's more of a recluse. He is now in the, when we pick up here in verse 61 and verse 62, we see that he's visiting the lowest southern part of the boundary of their land. And he's come to, from the northern part, he's not even actually at this time living with Abraham in Hebron. He's not in Mamre, but he's wound up in a very peculiar place, Bel-Lerohai. It was near the spot that God had appeared to Hagar. Whenever her and her son was needing a visitation from God, the southernmost part of the boundary of the promised land. And we see Isaac as he comes out into the field. He's an individual that I think many of us can relate to in that he pondered about God and he thought about God. It was this makeup that Abraham felt he needed a wife. A woman is a great figure in, in the life of her children. She should be that something that God placed in their lives by that feminist makeup which would help not only the sisters or the daughters of that woman, but also the boys. You see, depending on how a boy will relate to his mother, the type of imagery that he forms early on in his life, much of it is shaped by his mother or his grandmother. And he will... Out, actually, the outcropping of his life will greatly be affected by the type of female figure that he has in his early years. And if he has a woman for a mother that is a very strong, dominating figure, it can cause that boy to grow up very resentful of a woman. And he, if he's not careful will carry that over whenever he becomes a husband. That resentment can carry over even to his wife. And he will, for years, be struggling with that. For myself, I had a wonderful mother. Me and my mother were very close, closer actually than I was with my father. And I saw as my mother before my daddy got saved and I was the oldest in the family so I heard a lot of the arguments that went on between my mother and father and a lot of personal private matters that there's no need for me to go into but it instilled something in me when I was just a boy and I remember saying it out loud and remember now, we was not a church-going family, not religious at all at this time. 
But I can remember it. And I said one day, it was after something had happened in her home. And I remember saying it just to myself. If I ever get married, I'm going to make sure my wife is treated like a queen. Now, I didn't even have an idea of what I was even talking about, really. But seeing some negative things and seeing that my mother was a real woman, and she wasn't even serving the Lord yet, but I would see her as she would try to take what little provision that daddy was able to make for us and see her stretch out those meals and watch her at the table sometimes when she wouldn't hardly even eat and say she wasn't hungry. And she would say, as she made those beans and taters and cornbread and whatever that we had, she had tasted so much of it while she was preparing our meals that she wasn't really hungry. As a boy, I didn't really know what she meant by that. But as I got older, I realized what she was doing. I believe today one of the reasons that I love my wife the way that I do is because of that that I received from my mother. And Isaac had been now three years without his mother. And you may find it strange, but the family structure in that day was so strong. And the way that they looked even at their parents. Now Isaac, by now, is 40 years old. And the Bible doesn't tell us that when Abraham got ready to send Eliezer to find this bride for Isaac, that Isaac was even consulted. That he never even had an input. Do you want her to have blonde hair, dark hair, blue eyes, green? You want her to be chunky, skinny, too much chocolate? You know, you want her on the light side? Do you want her on the medium brown side? Do you want her dark brown? He didn't even have an input at all. Now, this is the way that they, the family was so structured in the way that they looked at it. And Isaac would have never, never resented the choice of his father. It's a shame, really, that we've lost such respect for our parents. They can just suggest that we do something and we look at them like they're a heathen. I'm afraid that a lot of our children and a lot of our younger generation of the message because many of them now have degrees in this and that and the other. And they look to some of their elders and because some of them never even finished high school and certainly never went to college, they look down on them and think they're idiots and they think they lack something. I wonder who is lacking. You see, when your college degree replaces respect 
and honor for your parents. You might ought to lay aside your college degree a little bit and go back and reread your Bible. Whenever a people have gone the way our nation has gone, there's only one thing for it to be turned into hell. I hate to say it, but it's true. We see them as the camel train starts coming in. Now, let me paint this for you so this would be very important, no doubt, as Eliezer begins to relate the makeup of his master. Rebecca had never seen him. She had never met him. She knew very little about him. The communication in those days would have been so limited. Abraham had been gone from there for many, many years now. They didn't have mail. They didn't have FedEx, UPS, text, SMS. They had none of those things. So the only real image that she would have known would have been what the messenger had gave her. Now, I read it this morning in 1961 that Brother Branham was talking about the messenger that was sent for the bride, to get the bride, and he said the Holy Spirit was the messenger that was sent to get the bride, Rebecca, for Isaac. And I thought, how amazing. So it was not just Paul one man. Now remember, this is a type, so the types only go so far. And God knew that Paul would not live to be 2,000 years old. Neither would it be Peter or James, or neither would it be Arrhenius or Luther. But it would be the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, anointing those men of that day than those who went out from under those church age messengers under the same anointing, that same call would still be on them to call the bride to Christ. Isaac was this type of a man that had been molded. No no doubt he he had a, a, a question in his mind as he goes as a 20-something-year-old man, almost 30, up to Mount Moriah. And his father has told him, we're going up to worship. And he leaves the servants on down the mountain a little bit. And he says, I and the young man will go and worship, and we will come back. Isaac did not know what God said, but Abraham believed even if he took his life, God would raise him from the dead. He said, we will go and we, not I, we will come back. Isaac became suspicious as he sees the wood. He sees, you know, everything seemingly except for the lamb. He said, my father, he said, Jeremiah, my son, Lord, here is the fire, here is the wood. Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? My son, God will provide for himself a lamb. Isaac must have become so overwhelmed when his father takes the rope and he begins to tie his hands and his feet. And then it hits him that he himself is going to become the sacrifice. It must have been a very confusing moment 
because God had driven out the Perizzites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, all of those people. And one of the main reasons was child sacrifice. It was part of the commonality among every one of those seven tribes of people. Every one of them offered their children as a sacrifice. As he climbed up on that altar, he must have been thinking in his mind, I do not understand. I do not understand. God, please help me. This is the very reason you're going to give us this land. And my father is going to do the same thing to me that these heathen mothers and fathers do to their children. And this is what you are demanding? I do not understand. God knew he would never require Abraham to do it. But Abraham didn't know that. And Isaac certainly didn't know it. God knew he would stop Abraham and he knew he would never require him to do it. But the important thing was God wanted him to be willing to do so. Myself, as I can see them go back down off of the mountain and I've wondered so many times what the conversation was as they went back down and the, the ram of course is caught in the thicket and it was not a ewe, a female, but it was a ram. And he was caught by his horns, by the church ages. He was caught by his horns in the thicket. And as Isaac and Abraham turned and went off the mountain after they had worshiped, I wonder brother West what they must have discussed and what they must have talked about. As a human, was it that something in Isaac that he pondered in his mind? Did Satan ever try to bring a hard feeling toward his father, toward this man that he loved and respected so much? And even though it might seem peculiar to us, Isaac had now moved away from his father in that sense and near this southern part of the tip of the boundary, as I said. But he is now going to become a man and start his own line. It's time. He's 40 years old. And no doubt he has the money. He has the means. But we find him doing a very peculiar, odd thing. And that was that when he went, now he had different stations by which they would be able to graze the animals. And as the, the arid country would begin to dry out and the rains would stop and the pastures would begin to dry up, they would simply just keep moving their herds. So they would move and they would follow as the dryness would come and start burning up the pastures and the, the ponds would start drying up. They would keep moving until they would find where it was greener pastures. So he, he was aware of this, had done this since a boy. But he still is at the age to where it is a requirement that he must become married and start his own life. So he has all kinds of silver, gold, flocks. He's a rich man. But when he decides to leave and go on this journey, 
He takes as his place of residence the tent of his mother. Now, it's not that he's lacking means. It's not that he's not a man of substance. But it shows us the epitome of this man. And what kind of a man that must be related, and I know you're saying, I wonder where is he going? I'm going to you. You see, Eliezer was the messenger that was sent to be able to bring, not only call Rebekah out, but be able to portray the image of his master so perfectly that she would feel as if though she knew him already once he got done. Now this is quite a challenge for any preacher. So he must convey to her not just how he is spiritually. Well, what what kind of a man is he spiritually? Well, he prays, he he reads, he he has his walk with God. Well, what, what kind of man is he naturally? What kind of temperament does he have? Is he got a temper? Oh, no, not my master. No. Well, is he quiet? Is he outspoken? Is he loud? Or is, he a, is he a father's boy? Is he a mother's boy? How does he treat the servants? She's going to marry this man, and she knows so very, very little about him. So it is now going to be the job of Eliezer. And he brings her, let me say it this way, he brings her the gospel the good news, to come out. Then when he gets her before her mother, her brother, her family, then he starts projecting the gospel view of his master. And he starts giving her a little bit of a brief history. Well, my father, or my master's father, which was Abraham, he left here years ago and he went this way and he done that and he done that and he done that. He's not just kept catching her up on how much wealth he has, but he's giving her a brief glimpse of the history of the man she's fixing to marry. Now, he wants her to be able to make a clear choice based on a proper conception. I hope you understand what I'm fixing to say. Most of us were not in a state to accept and marry the Lord Jesus the first time we heard about him. The first church probably, maybe a lot of us went to a Baptist, a Methodist. uh, For some of our young people, the only thing they have known is a message church. So they really don't know what many of us had to go through. So many of us, we heard him introduced as the second person of a Godhead, a watered-down version of some sort of something that pre-existed in heaven or, you know, we, we really didn't know who we were accepting. And we really couldn't take a man like that as our husband because we didn't really know it. So I hope you understand the direction I'm going, that this is why some of us never got married as soon as we got saved. As a matter of fact, some of us, the most part of us, never even got married to Christ the Word until we got under the true messenger of the hour. 
Amen. Because we could have never married him with the blindness and the ignorance that we were under. We would have been marrying a man that we never ever knew. Now we all have family members or maybe you yourself have experienced such a thing and you said, I never even knew that man that I married. I never even knew that woman that I married. And sometimes people have to wait till they reach a certain age and then they change and the maturity of what they are that was veiled by their teens and early 20s and they enter into this adult state. And we know even the mind, the brain itself, you can't even use a certain portion of your brain, the peripheral matter, the outside of it until you're 21 years old. So you can't even make really full brain decisions. And it's the same with us whenever we become an adult. So here, the Lord Jesus could not have taken us to be his wife under the ignorance of us not knowing who he really was. So Eliezer has this protocol by which he must present it in a right way because he does not want this woman to be deceived. Neither does he want his master to be dissatisfied with a woman which he himself had part in bringing her back. Now can you imagine this responsibility that he had this place that he was going to take her back and if Isaac did not love her, if he did not like her, so what must he do? He must try this woman by the word. He must try this woman. He must set forth the character of his master and let the woman as much as possible in another personage by a messenger. And let her be able to see this person as clear as he can convey him so she will make a real clear choice. Well, I'll tell you one thing, I've been serving him for a lot, a lot of years of my life. I've been living for him more and more and more and more I hear about him, the more I love him. I have no regrets, anybody else here with me today? I have no regrets of the more that I'm around him and the more that I hear about his character and his nature. Oh, he makes himself more clear and the revelation expounds more, of course. But what I'm seeing is a compound revelation of what I began to see first when I was really joined to him in holy wedlock unto the eternal under the auspices of the revealed word of this hour. I gave my hard time, I preached, I'd done all kinds of things. You know, I went years and years and years as being a Pentecostal preacher and evangelized and had tent meetings and this and that and the other, but I really did not know him as I know him now. But as he began to break open to me through the message of the hour, what I found out is more of the revealing of the very same person. Because when I began to grasp this message, it was not just the mysteries of serpent seed and the seven thunders and the seals and this and that. But I I hear Brother Branham pray and talk about the Lord Jesus and talk about his character and his makeup. And that was one of the things that I had never heard. heard some of the great all-time preachers of the rank of Pentecost that I was in. 
I heard some of those that would draw hundreds and thousands to their, to their meetings and I worked with them. And I would see them as they would come and the people would come. I never heard a man talk about Jesus the way this one did. I never heard a man describe him and even talk to him in the same way. It was as if though he knew him in a more personal manner than anyone I had ever talked to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? in my life. So it was not just the miracles. Thank God for the miracles. It was not just a mystery. Thank God for that. But it was the way this messenger introduced the person of the Lord Jesus that becomes so overwhelming to me. Now, in bestowing this of what Eliezer is doing, he's going through the procedures. We've read it before, and we'll read it again. In Genesis 24, 21, and the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands and 10 shekels of gold. In bestowing the jewelry upon her. Now, unlike our Western custom today, a man, a stranger, even someone betrothed to a girl, a man was not allowed to touch a woman. This man was not allowed to touch her. A woman going into the street, you know how a lot of people are today, they're so touchy of the opposite sex and all that, your head would have been hanging up on a spear if you would have done that in these days. Now, by her allowing him, listen now, something had already started to move on her The angel of the Lord, remember, had showed up at the well 30 minutes prior to this. This girl was brought up right in the sense of the way of courtship and the protocol of having men to touch her. But something had already begun to prep her heart and it was the divine nature of God sending down an angel that would move on her. Now whenever this man, notice what the Bible says, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel of weight and two bracelets for her hands of 10 shekels of gold. Now whenever he does take these pieces of jewelry, he takes her hand and he slides the bracelet over her hand. Now you see for us in Western civilization, we think nothing about that at all. You don't understand what just happened. Because for her, this is contrary to everything she's been taught since a wee little girl. She's a very beautiful woman, no doubt her mother, her father, the the slaves, everybody watched over her. But she somehow was moved to surrender a portion of what she was over and allow this messenger And I can just see her in my mind now as she's sitting there and the camels have now drunk. And here they are all gathered, oh my. And as he brings out the bracelets and the jewels and he starts toward her hand and he comes toward her and I can see her as she begins to put forth. Now remember the hand signifies works and the earring signified the hearing. 
So she had already started hearing and enough of the hearing of the word of God began to respond that divine part inside of her. Listen to me. She was already by predestination a part of the faith of Abraham and she'd probably never even seen him. What's she doing? She's reaching for the unseen to obey and do her part of the gospel. Amen. Now, she's not compromising what's right and wrong, of course, but she is putting forth and allowing this man to slide the bracelet over her hand. Oh, my. So in bestowing the jewelry now, Eliezer actually makes a claim for his master. So by depositing the gold on her wrist, he is now making a betrothal claim. And the claim is being made by the messenger who's standing in proxy of his master. In accepting the jewelry, she allowed Eliezer to touch her. She allowed Eliezer to touch her face and to touch her wrist. Now, by doing this, it now releases more faith in him to believe that now the gospel is one fourth in its minor form and the sign has been performed. What was it? The sign on the hand. Amen. So he is now persuaded to believe that this can further unveil. Now a claim is not necessarily a vouchsafe vow yet that she's going to go. She did not say I'm going with you. But she simply start yielding and rendering to the message, her heart, her faith and allowed the messenger to touch her. Now watch this in verse 28. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things. And Rebecca had a brother, and his name was Laban. We all remember old kinfolk Laban, don't we? We've all got a few Labans, no doubt, in our family. And Laban ran out unto the man, unto the well, and it came to pass, notice, when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands. So the message has already started taking place, not only on the inside. You see, we got a lot of message folks, especially the younger generation of message folks, many of them that are coming up around us, they want to let on to us. Well, I believe the message with all of my heart. I believe what the prophet taught, but yet their outside sure don't look like it. Come on now, the dresses are getting higher and higher and tighter and tighter. Well, come on now. That's exactly right, and the young men began to look more worldly. But remember, the first place that this started being visible on the outside, Laban never looked inside of her heart and said, oh, I see you're a message believer. But what Laban looked at was, it had a great significance. Again, to us Western people, would read this and read right over it. But him knowing his sister had allowed this man to touch her, which was against protocol. So by seeing the bracelets on her wrist, he knew that in order for this to come to pass, that the man had to touch her. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and the bracelets upon his sister's hands, and when he heard, notice, when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. 
Now she's starting to say what the messenger has said. Imagine the first time she went back to church that her former pastor preached on staying away from cults. You imagine that they were all upset and Laban, Laban saw the, the bracelets and they saw, you know, as she no doubt was changed that there was something about her that she had a glow in her appearance and the mother, and the Bible doesn't really mention anything about the father here so it's hard to know about him. Uh, but there was something that had been a change about her. When he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister saying, thus spake the man unto me. Now she's starting to repeat what this man had to say. That he came unto the man and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. Now let's leave the well and what we find is Rebecca running wide open back to her father's house, however long that was. And so they see her, she left without the bracelet, she comes back with the bracelet, she begins to relate the message. And then whenever he hears it, he goes back because he's not yet been invited. He leaves and runs back and he finds this man still waiting by the well with the camels. Oh my. Notice in verse 53, and the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. So Eliezer gave Rebekah precious things from the groom. Now notice he had already given her this gifts out there at the well. But once they come back and they begin to enter into this agreement of the ketubah, now he also gives to the mother and the brother the mohar, but he's going to give to Rebecca the matan. So the matan, I'll read this to you from history, a matan could be cash or property or something of a personal nature. Now whenever Eliezer got ready to leave and Isaac of course had been told about it by this time, Isaac would have known the custom of the land. So whether it was Abraham or whether it was Eliezer that went to him and told him now Eliezer's going to get a bride, is there anything personally, is there anything personally you would like for the messenger to give from you? What would you want him to give to your wife from you? It can be whatever you choose. It can be gold, it can be silver, it can be clothes. What would you like for her to have? Now this was not a requirement, the Matan, but it was an understanding of just the epitome of love, totally voluntary. So it was something to show the bride's uh, personal interest from the groom, it would speak volumes. It would speak of what kind of man she's fixing to marry. Now Isaac is a wealthy man. So whatever he wanted, it could have been, it could have been sumptuous purple linen. It could have been flax from Egypt. The flax in Egypt was so fine and so rare. In many markets of the world, the known world, it would be as expensive as gold. It 
It could have been jewels. It could have been special fruits from the land of Canaan. But it was something specially designed by the groom for the bride. Glory to God. Could have been silver ornaments, pearls, precious gems. We don't know. Could have been raiment. Because the talks now had been very favorable thus far, Eliezer presents the Mohar to Laban and the mother. Now, in this, it was thought to compensate the bride's family because she is going to leave and go with the bridegroom. And the, this was kept many times, it would depend on the view of the father, but this was kept back for the bride. Now, in this case, more than likely, part of it went with Rebecca because the woman did not have the same rights in those days as the men. The woman couldn't divorce her husband, but the man could divorce his wife. The man actually could divorce his wife even if his wife had given birth to a child and the man wanted a boy and the woman gave birth to a girl, the man could put her away. If she burnt her bread, dear Jesus. <laughs> I used to tell, tell Carol that whenever we first got married and Carol was cooking, I ate blackened Cajun before it was even in season, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So this was given the bride price. So if the woman was divorced when she got to this foreign land, she would have a, a means to live. Oh, Glory. That's one thing we'll never have to worry about. So the matan given by the groom, our blessed bridegroom, the Lord Jesus has lavished great matan gifts of his own personal nature. Can we look at a few this morning? If he wanted, he could have given us whatever he desired. But he gave us things that would help us from the time that we heard the call of the Spirit of God until the time we would sit in our seat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So he personalized the Matan to give us gifts that would help us in our journey. One of them was forgiveness. Acts 26, 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This is the Lord Jesus speaking to Paul, being sent to the Gentiles. Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches 
of His grace. So the bridegroom wound up this package to bring to the bride and deliver the matan. What good would it do to offer us gifts of the Spirit if we weren't forgiven first? Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Aren't you glad for that today? He bundled in this matan everything we would have need of, of assurance and pardon and so on. Also, another attribute in the matan for the bride would be eternal life. St. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Titus 3, 7, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He gave us angels. Every person here who is elect has an angel. Your own and your guardian one. I felt the influence of him before. A few times I've been allowed to see little streaks of him. But to be honest, this matan this has been what's pulled me out of my trials. Not the visible presence of my guardian angel. Another thing that he wanted to give to the bride in her matan was acceptance. It's something that all human beings, I think, long for to be accepted. You know why people dye their hair green? You know why people have got purple and why they're doing tattoos and they're doing all this weird and crazy stuff? People want to be accepted. And they look for a certain crowd to be accepted in. So, I mean, you sisters that wear skirts, you're not going to be accepted pretty much among those who, who would wear pants all the time. And those of you that want to dress decent like a woman, you would not be accepted among those that dress like Jezebels and all that sort of thing. You young men that want to be accepted, there's no way you're going to be accepted out here amongst the worldly boys. If you don't act like them, talk like them, drink like them, smoke like them, you're not going to do it. So what do you do? You must reach the stage of conformity in order to be able to render you an element of acceptance. Even in gangs, whether it's criminal gangs or motorcycle gangs or whatever it is, you've got to do certain things in order for them to try you, to see if you are the type of person, if you're mean enough, sorry enough, low down rotten enough to be able to belong to the hell's angels or you know whoever else it is, MS-13. You gotta kill so many people and do this and that and the other. Why? Before you can be accepted. 
Well, I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to remain lost. I didn't want to be cast into outer darkness. But what could I ever do to be accepted? Not one thing. So what did he do? He offered me acceptance. And you know what I had to do? Accept my acceptance. (laughs) Praise God. When I accepted my pardon, amen, when I accepted my pardon, my forgiveness of sins, I was accepting my own acceptance. Now, it'll do you no good at all. He can stand and knock on your heart every day of your life, and it will not do you one bit of good until you accept it. Well, so when I'm trying to work my way into it, when I get good enough, I'll do it. You'll never get good enough. But you simply have to accept your acceptance. Notice this in Ephesians 1.5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. This is why you're saved today, saints. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. He has made it. Look at what Amatan, your bridegroom, has given you. You are forgiven. You are pardoned. You have eternal life. You have royal divine acceptance in the presence of God. If any man will come to me, I will in no wise cast him out. You have acceptance when you're down. You have acceptance when you're up. You have acceptance when you're doing good. Let me go ahead and bring it on down to you. You even have acceptance when you mess up. You have acceptance when you've kept the word to the letter and you have acceptance when you made a fool out of yourself. I write unto you little children that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Jesus Christ the righteous, which is a perpetuation for our sins only and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. You have acceptance in the presence of God. What a matan. Another one. Peace. St. John 14, 27. Peace. I leave with you. Now it's not your peace on steroids. He didn't leave you your peace all beefed up. It's not your peace at all. This is what blows our minds sometimes, that we can have a peace that passes understanding. You see, if Satan can convince us our peace is based on us, he will rob us blind. When in your matan is volumes and volumes, oh my, just an absolute untapped resource of peace that probably we've only understood a little tiny measure of. 
Listen to this. Peace, I leave you. My peace, my peace. You think Jesus ever gets bent out of shape? You think Jesus ever gets stressed out in heaven? You think Jesus ever goes around in heaven and ran, oh, oh, I'm so tore up, oh, I'm so tore up. Well, yeah, you say, but that's him. But he gave you in your matan his peace. To where no matter how dark your storm is, how difficult, how sick you are, that you can tap into a peace that is not frustrated. Tap into, you've had it to happen to you, haven't we had it? To where a doctor would give you a terrible report or something awful would happen and you'd think, Lord have mercy, I ought to be torn all to pieces. But all of a sudden, the peace just overwhelms you. What was it? You opened up your matan and the grace of God ministered to you a peace that was overwhelming. Praise God. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I hate fear. I hate fear. You know one reason I still hate it? Because I still have it. If it was under my feet, it wouldn't bother me no more. Come on, how many more of you honest Christians still experience fear? And I hate it. I hate it, Brother Joshua, and I feel fear that tries to overwhelm my faith. I hate it. Praise God. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which passeth, passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He gave you the right to use his name. Now, don't let this overwhelm you. To even ask for things that his word never specified. Now, peace, joy, happiness, Holy Ghost, many of those things, the word specifies, you can ask. But Jesus knew there'd be times when there wasn't even a scripture. There wasn't even a scripture that identified, I I need this from God, I need it. And you look and you look and you look and and you can't find a scripture that mentions whatever your particular need is. So he says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll grant it to you. Friends, can't you see this matan can only be given to the bride? This cannot be given to every person that just comes to church. It cannot be given to every person that just comes up and just repents of their sins. But the Holy Spirit renders to the elect of God this bountiful gifts of the Matan. Notice this in St. John 14, 13 to 14. And whatsoever 
Ye shall ask in my name. That will I do. Now, listen to me carefully. That's not in this format. I ask for this in Jesus' name. I want this in Jesus' name. But when you are in His name, and you are in Him asking, glory to God. You see, with His nature in us, Oh, hallelujah. It will guide us in those things we ask for. We will never ask for something that would displease him. While we're praying in his name, his name is his character. So then when you ask, this is the same as Jesus himself asking for. My bride, I give you my name. Notice this, he said, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name. You see, you're asking, but you're asking in the name. You're not just saying it. He didn't say if you say my name. But ask it in my name. Ask it in the representation of who I am. My character. My shim. My character. Can you imagine how Jacob must have felt that day? When he walked up there and under divine revelation by the Spirit of God, he takes a sacrifice and he makes an altar out of unhewn stone, which is God's way. And he lays that sacrifice up upon that altar and lights it. And he begins to say, El Elohi Israel. El Elohi Israel. God, the God of Israel. His own name was merged in with God's name. And that place of worship was called after God and Jacob. <laughs> Why would God tell Moses? When he went to build the tabernacle. Call it the tabernacle of the congregation. I thought it was called the house of God. It was. Because God's house and his wife's house is the same. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This is not just a building that God comes and meets in. It's a building that God comes and meets us in. Hallelujah. It is a place that is set aside. That almighty God comes here and we can say hallelujah, hallelujah. This is El Elohim, the bride. El Elohim. 
the bride. Hmm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Then on this altar, in his name, we can lay hands on those that have cancer in their bodies and the mighty God will drive it out. We can speak his name. Oh, hallelujah. We can speak his name and depression will leave. Sickness will leave. Why? Because we're not just repeating the name. We're in the name. We're in the name. You've seen me do it so many times. The bride, the groom and I and the best man walk out of that office. The music will change and the bride will come up. She walks up that aisle. A Swanson, a Shote, a Reagan, or whatever. And in a few minutes, she will walk out of there. A Smith, a Brown, whatever the name of her husband is. Hallelujah. She'll get her driver's license changed. She'll get her bank account changed. Hallelujah. She don't take on the name of the preacher. She don't take on the name of the church. She takes on the name of her husband. And if her husband is in Korea, her husband is somewhere on a long trip around the world, and that bride needs some money withdrawn out of the bank, she can go right there to the bank and sign it. Why? Because her name has been validated on the account. It's the oh, glory to God. It's the same thing as the husband standing there himself. Naturally speaking, she might have been the poorest girl in church. When she, they married that boy, and he might have been a rich boy in church, she might not have had enough money to her to do anything. But when she got him, she got his bank account. A lot of women fall in love with the gifts the boyfriend gives them. You better fall in love with him. That way you get the giver and the gifts. Pentecost fell in love with the gifts. A lot of the message folks that fell in love with the gifts. Come on, church. I love the gifts too. But let me tell you something. I love the giver more than I love the gifts. If I fall in love with the giver, I give tongues. I give prophecy. I get interpretation. I get wisdom. I get knowledge. I get healing. I get assurance. I get, well, glory to God. I get rapturing faith when I need it because I got it in the package when I got the great giver himself. A few more minutes and we'll close. In your matan, you heal him. Mark 16, 17, and these signs shall follow them that believe. And let me make a challenge to those of you that are leaving the message. You want to run your mouth and say we're wrong and we're this and that and the other. Then if you are the believers and we're the false ones, you do the signs. 
Let's see God among you. And until you can prove it, leave us alone. Oh, well, God hasn't called me to do this and that and the other. If you're a believer, he has. So if he ain't called you to do it, that means you're an unbeliever. Some of you people think you're sent to pull us away from this false prophet as you believe it and pull us away from this cult as you believe it. But if God is with you, where is he? You don't prove God's with you because you got a website. You don't prove God's with you because you can't prove this and that and the other. If God's with you, then let us see him manifest himself. Come on, saints. I'll tell you one thing, my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has never changed. He's still healing the sick. He's still saving the lost. He's still baptizing with the Holy Ghost. Oh, hallelujah. It comes in the bride's matan. Our God is a healer. Our God is a deliverer. Our God is a savior. Oh, hallelujah. That's the matan he gave to his bride. signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they'll make websites. In my my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. An example of this is Paul picking up the sticks in the fire. They drink any deadly thing that shall not hurt them. They will simply lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. First Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were. Praise God. Healed. James 5, 14. Any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church. I said in yesterday, and I wanted to look a little bit at this again, and I got to looking down through the places where Brother Brandon mentioned this. And whenever he quoted this scripture in one place, Brother West, I thought it's so phenomenal. They said, you notice the way James said that? He said, you didn't have to call the pastor. He said, just call the elders of the church. I thought, wow, praise God. That's the church Jesus claims as his own. Where it ain't just Brother Donnie praying for you. It ain't Brother Darrell praying for you. It ain't Brother West or Brother Joel or some of these other preachers here praying for you. But it's the believers. Healing is amongst the body. Deliverance. Oh, glory. Deliverance is amongst. Come on, saints. Why? Because not only did Donnie Reagan receive the Matan, but you received the Matan as a believer. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen how strong this is. And the prayer of faith shall sozo save the sick. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Notice this two part partners. In this verse 15, 
the prayer of faith will save them. And the Lord said, y'all do that part and I'll do the other part. I'll raise them up. <laughs> the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. He even went on to say, I'll tell you what else I'll do. If he's committed any sins, I'll go ahead and take care of that too. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent, which means passionate on fire. Burning, stimulating. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In the Greek, this means to have God to move. Him who moves, this moves him. <laughs> Glory be to God. No, we can't move. No, it's not my place to move. It's my place to move him. Oh, Lord, children, this is in your matan. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not going to get that out of your mouth. Get that out of your mind. Let the Lord Jesus purge that out of our conversation. We are not worthy in ourselves, but he has made us worthy. He has made us accepted. Listen. Can I share one more with you? Another gift in the Matan is ministry gifts. Ephesians 4.10, He that descended is the same and also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Don't you understand? Gifted men, they're your gifts. They're sent for you. Whether it's a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, those gifts are sent for your benefit. They're in your matin. Brother Bram says it this way. First is apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. Those five God-given gifts in the church. So each one of you people who has a godly pastor has a gift from God in your church, a shepherd. Pastor means a shepherd to watch over the flock, to teach them the Word of God. Now, not to add to what he said, to change what he said, but let's go on beyond this, the office of the pastor. Every God-called evangelist that's ever stood right here in this church is a gift sent from God. Every one of these are gifts sent from God. What for? To help us along our journey. I wonder how many days that Rebecca took out the Matan. And as she looked at whatever those gifts were, gold, silver, pearls, treasures, clothes, whatever it was, I wonder what she thought about them gifts. If she thought right, the presentation of these gifts would make her think about her new husband. In her future home. You see, what not made her fall in love was the gifts. 
She wasn't ready to marry Eliezer when she got back. But the Bible says she lighted off the camel, which means jumped off. Any of y'all ever rode a camel? Well, they're pretty tall. They're, they're, they're pretty big. Now, you can imagine jumping off of the back, whether it's a one hump or a two hump, who knows. But she jumped off the back of that thing and veiled herself because according to their custom, the bridegroom could not look upon the face of his bride until under the hoopah when the wedding was consummated. Then the veil was removed. Now, this may, I hope it don't stumble you, but whenever he saw her, she put the veil on her face. He never knew what she looked like until he took her into his mother's tent. Then he removed the veil. You imagine what he must have thought. Oh my goodness. You are so beautiful. I wasn't sure what you'd look like. I wasn't sure how I would feel about you but the Bible tells us how I felt I love this because the Bible says he took her to his mother's tent and he loved her and he was comforted because of his mother's death wow a woman had been taken a woman had been given back isn't it amazing the great prophet Abraham, his father, could not comfort him? Don't you understand? Angels could not fill this spot in the being of the Almighty. But you actually bring him comfort and love and fellowship. I want to I wanna do that, don't you? Let's bow our heads together. Dear Jesus, how great you are, how great your plan is. I thank you so much, Father, for helping us to see the evening light. The Bible tells us that Isaac had went out about the eventide to meditate. So it tells us what kind of man that he was, that he was a man that thought and give a lot of things consideration. He was a meditator. So he, it was in the evening that he went out to meditate. The Bible also gives us the location which he went to. The Bible says he went out into the field. So he found solace. He found comfort. He found quiet in nature. So he went out to think. We know they didn't have modern communications as we do today, so he wasn't really sure when Eliezer would come back. He wasn't even sure if he was successful. But he just went to meditate. He was still, the word meditate, of course, one of the meanings of the word is to mourn. So he was still mourning over the loss of his mother. Three years she's been gone. He was an only child, we know, and he was very close to his parents. Praise God. Little did he know this would be the last meditation that he would ever feel so sad. Praise God. 
The Bible says he lifted up his eyes and he saw the camels coming. Praise God. Here come the camel train. And about that time, his eyes was looking that way and Rebecca looked toward him and said, who is this that is walking? And Eliezer said, it is my master. Praise God. And the scripture says, she veiled herself and lighted off of the camel. She didn't even want to take time for Eliezer to lower that big old long-legged thing down. She jumped right off in the middle of the air. Praise God. And the prophet said, we don't meet him in his home or our home, but we meet him in the middle of the air. Oh, glory to God. Oh, Jesus, I wish it could be today, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Take us out of this place. It's getting darker every day. Come, Jesus. Our Isaac. We feel, we know at least a little bit of how you are. Your nature, your character, your name. It's your word that's made it known to us. If there's one here today that's not at peace with you, help them, Lord. If there's one that's never received the Matan, maybe they've come to church here for years and years, but really, they've never received that personalized gift, personalized forgiveness, personalized acceptance, personalized peace. It's just something they quote and they've talked about. Lord God, I don't need peace to talk about. I don't need forgiveness to talk about. Mine needs to be personalized. I need my name on peace. I needed my name on forgiveness and pardon and acceptance. And I need my name on rapturing faith. Help us today, Lord Jesus. Rebecca, can we raise our hands in the presence of our King? The Holy Ghost has slid those bracelets on our arms. We've received the token. Praise God. We're hearing about him, his nature, his character, his name, who he is, what he is, what he's done for us, what he wants to do. What's he doing? It's not making us fall in love with the preachers, not making us fall in love with Brother Branham, making us fall in love with the Lord Jesus more. That the way you feel today? Hallelujah. Oh, we worship you now, Lord God. It must have been something. That journey back, just a standard journey from where they were there back to from Mesopotamia. Would have been 30 days or so. Had there been strong winds, it could have been up to a month and a half or two months. We don't know for sure. But I imagine every day, the journey was made so much easier. Maybe Rebecca would get up and say, I'm hungry, Eliezer. Oh, he said, I brought plenty for you to eat. What have you got? Spiritual food in due season. 
It sure is awful dry out here across this Negev desert. It's awful dry. Don't worry, Rebecca. I've got ever-present water from the rock. But what if he don't like me? What, what, what if he sees me and just my appearance makes him sick? You have the token, don't you? I gave you the token. That means you are accepted. Believe me, he will love you. He has loved you since before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Look at me, friends. Let me relate it to you in this simple, simple story. As they're having an auction one day, and they sell all kinds of bits and pieces of this and that and the other, finally, there's an old violin laying there. They pick it up. What am I bid? Dollar? Dollar and a half? Two? Well, someone in the crowd looked at that violin and saw some worth, some value. So an old man walks up and he rosins the bow and tunes it. He starts laying the bow across the strings. Starts playing. A thousand, two thousand, ten thousand. That's the way we were, covered in dust, our lives full of sin. Well, when I hear the prophet say there was an invisible union, he said, made the master pick up the bow and run the rolls and across the bow and start playing his songs every day out of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Sing something for us, Harry. Can we just worship just a little bit before we go have our lunch? I know it's a beautiful day outside and you've probably got things planned of what you want to do, but I feel I can probably safely say it. I doubt there'll be anything else you'll do the rest of the day. That'll be as great as this right here. Having lunch. Hallelujah. Let him strike that bow. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've got a little bit out of tune. Let him retune you and re-rolls on that bow and strike across your predestinated heart playing out the songs of redemption. Let me just make this announcement here, Harry, before we do. I want to pray for the Murray family. Their father, Vance, passed away on Thursday evening. They certainly desire prayers. Service Tuesday night, April the 13th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Oak Hill Funeral Home in Kingsport. Burial will be at 11 o'clock on Wednesday. Certainly want you to remember them. God will just be with them and help them during this time. Jehovah Jireh. Thank you, Jesus. My provider. Hallelujah, Lord God. You are more than enough. For me. 
Father, you see my brother. Lord God, you see going to Johns Hopkins. Lord, his situation with his liver. Lord, they're one of the best in our, in our nation as far as nationally speaking. But Lord God, we've got the best that has ever been, that ever was. That's you, Lord God. We lay our hands on him today, Father, and we ask you in the name of Jesus. You see, Lord, the preliminary things that they've said about his liver and what they think might be there. Going to meet with, have a scan, an MRI, and then a board of doctors. But, Lord God, our faith is not in a board of doctors. It's not an MRI or a scan. Our faith is in the Lord God Almighty. We join our faith together today with our brother in the name of Jesus. Lord God, may you minister healing to him, Father. We know sometimes you will even allow us to go and let doctors be able to have their own scans so we can prove it scientifically that what was there is no longer there. In the name of Jesus, bring it to pass, Father God, we pray. Go as our brother, be with them on the trip. Lord, just may the peace of God be with them and help them, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, to the honor and the glory of Almighty God. And the saints say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise your holy name, Father. You are worthy, Lord. We bless you today, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. I mean, loves him with all your heart. Oh, don't just raise your hands out of routine, but because you really mean it with all your heart. We love you, Jesus. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. You are awesome in this place, Abba Father. You are worthy of all praise 
to you our lives we raise you are awesome in this place mighty God you are awesome in this place almighty God you are awesome in this place
enjoy being in church this morning. Certainly appreciate the word. Let's just go take, take what we've heard with us. Um, remember the service Wednesday night, Brother Harry, let's just sing that. What a beautiful name it is. Just sing that as you go this morning. You were the word at the beginning. One with God alone most
Shout to the Lord, my comfort. Lord, there is none like you all of my days. I want to praise the wonders of your mighty Straight. 